Central Coast Conversations, the podcast that will feature in-depth and engaging discussions with influencers and community leaders, as well as national and local hot topics that are being talked about by everyone, everywhere. Greetings, everybody, and welcome to the show. I'm Yvonne Thomas. Did you know that one of the great-great-grandsons of abolitionist Frederick Douglass grew up right here on the Monterey Peninsula in Seaside. My guest today is my friend, Kevin Douglas Green. Kevin's going to share some stories with us about growing up in Seaside. And of course, we'll also discuss his very famous great-great-grandfather, Frederick Douglass, former slave, abolitionist, and statesman. Coming up next, my conversation with Kevin Douglas Green. First off, welcome home, Kevin, and welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you. Pleasure to be invited and, and you know, as as a seasider, I'm just you know, I, I'm I'm excited to be a guest. It's an honor. I'm I'm thrilled. And you and I were both raised in Seaside and were part of military families. Our fathers were in the Army and stationed in Fort Ord. And we're going to talk about your memories of growing up in Seaside in just a bit. But I want to start our conversation with you discussing the legacy of your great-great-grandfather, former slave and abolitionist, the Frederick Douglass. Now, growing up here in Seaside, I don't remember you ever mentioning that you were related to someone so famous. So my first question for you is, did did you keep that a secret from us for some reason? No. Um, I guess what's interesting with, with us, we didn't always, weren't always in that, that same circle, tight circle, because I think we went to different elementary schools, right? We yeah. did, yeah. yeah. We went to King together, junior high yeah. school. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I don't even from there. <laughs> Thanks. Okay. No, I. (laughs) uh, No, it's interesting because that's often a question I get: is when did I, you know, when did I know and realize that I was related to Frederick Douglass? And all I can often really say is that I, I did know while I was at least elementary school age. And part of the reason why I know is because later in life, people tell me I've had educators and friends, especially at Manzanita, that says, yeah, you you just tell us that you were related to Frederick Douglass. And, you know, to some, it really you know, didn't ring a bell of who he was anyway. Right. Uh, so, you know, there was a point that I would tell people and uh, but I really don't remember. But what's interesting about that whole story is as far as my understanding of knowing who Frederick Douglass was and was when uh, sixth grade, uh, my mother took me back to Washington, D.C., and we visited the Douglass house and I got to meet people that she grew up with and, right. knew, and knew my grandfather. Right. And so that's when I really got a idea and appreciation of who Frederick Douglass was and yeah, you know, I in in school often I you know I remember and at King I did do a, a paper on on Frederick Douglass, but then again, like you said, and I tell people today what I am very happy about um, is that I was able to grow up as Kevin Kevin Green, right? Yeah, so and that's who that's who I am every you know every day, and then you know when I say I need you know. It's time to be Kevin Douglas Green. <laughs> right. Then I, I do, but I enjoy going back to being Kevin. Okay. Well, that sort of leads me into my next question. Although there are a lot of people who know who Frederick Douglass was, there are still a lot of people who don't know. So can you please share with my listeners who he was and why you're so proud to be his great great grandson? Okay. Well, Frederick Douglass was born uh, enslaved in 1818 in the eastern shore of Maryland. Uh, So being, you know, being raised enslaved. In his case, he he had very little contact with his mother. Mm -hmm. He was raised by his grandmother uh, as a 
child for a short time. And then it came a time where she basically had to just release him to the, to the plantation. And he had to grow up kind of like on his own, even though he had other siblings around, he still didn't have that maternal, that maternal thing going on. Uh, but one of the things uh, about Frederick Douglass is that what he's what he's known for is being the self-educated uh, slave, right? Of teaching himself how to read and write, mm-hmm. basically. Correct. And from that, he became, you know, a abolitionist, a uh, an author, uh, statesman appointed to different you know government offices and and it's interesting you know again where growing up knowing who I was pertaining to Frederick Douglass uh-huh. I didn't always know and I won't say I w- I didn't appreciate but I didn't know the in depth about Frederick Douglass because I ended up, you know, I I learned most of my stuff about Frederick Douglass as most people do by reading his books, and that's one of the great things about Douglass. He th- wrote three autobiographies, right? So getting in to find out what was in his mind uh, growing up through the different stages of his existence in uh, enslavement and becoming a free man. And then becoming the the man that helped free others, uh, those books really tell a whole lot. And I I can't even touch half of what you know it's of what he knows. Sure. So I you know I just over the last thirty years I've just been doing a little bit, doing my little part of trying to you know educate people on who Frederick Douglass was, but also. Uh, using what he did to help people understand what they th- what they can do in this time, also. Okay, have there been family stories that have been passed down within your family about him? About those I know it was a long time ago, but those that knew him and have passed down stories. Uh, no, and unfortunately, I didn't get to you know I didn't get to have that that contact with my with my grandfather my mother's father he died before I was born mm-hmm. uh, even though uh, there was I'm sure there was information between him and her about his time with Douglas because uh, I know he he actually spent time with Frederick Douglas as a child mm-hmm. living in uh you know being able to live in the house in Washington DC uh, but you know compared to some other things there's there's no real passed down family Douglas stories that that I've been you know real privileged to but what's interesting is my my cousin Nettie and uh and Kenneth Morris right they, I've spoken to Kevin. Yeah. Kenneth. Oh, you spoken to Kenneth? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So they, you know, their story, they got a little bit more closer contact story because he has the story of, you know, he's able to touch the hand of a hand that touched Frederick Douglass type thing. Okay. And I don't have that type, but it's it's still still all good. No, you actually put me in contact with Kenneth. Okay. This was like years ago about... I believe oh, about it was a the golf, golf tournament. Yeah, we were trying tournament. to yeah do mm-hmm. a golf thing. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. Can you tell? You I know that you didn't talk about him when we were kids, but now you talk about him all the time. So tell us about some of the work that you're doing to promote the legacy of your great great grandfather. Okay. So personally, I you know I have the opportunity to to go around the country. Uh, and represent the Douglas family in different varieties. This just just this past, you know, in the past say sixty days, I was in Leesburg, Virginia, uh, as a keynote speaker for a Douglas high school that was being rededicated. So there, I was just, you know, I basically was able to d- do a a you know a large group type speech. Um, and point out things about Frederick Douglass that I really thought was, you know, education based. 
And but was fun, you know, what made it fun? Because I like, like I said, I like to have fun when I go do these things, mm-hmm. and and for people to get to know me. So the night before, they had a mixer, mm-hmm. just a meet and greet, and so there I was able to tell more of the stuff that I'm proud of as as far as the being the family legacy pieces of it. And I'm able to talk about my grandfather and my mother and my great grandfather, stuff I can't do in 15 minutes. Right. And so, and, and people can see, you know, through that, how, how much I appreciate it, how, you know, proud I am just by telling my little piece of the story uh, in that certain way. And then this past week, cause I just flew in from Philadelphia today Mm-hmm. So from Thursday to to today, I was in Philadelphia and had the opportunity to do a couple of different things uh, pertaining to uh, Juneteenth and also pertaining to a some education based, yeah, education based program that was at Valley Forge. So the Juneteenth thing um, was at a high school, and and what's neat about this high school this. Uh, lady named Mama Gail, real, you know, respected in the community. She has created what's called a safe space. Mm -hmm. It's a classroom and another room where kids, not only kids in the community, but the the families of the kids can come in that space and feel, just be able to read and do whatever Mm -hmm. and feel safe. And so she had this program where uh, the organization that I do a lot with in Philadelphia is called Hands Across Philadelphia. Okay. Uh, ran by, well, the president is Nicole Ross. And so this time, the great-great-grandson of John Brown, who I had the opportunity to do a program with in February in Philadelphia, he was there again, and we were able to sit down and a... Um, moderator, you know, ask questions between the two of us. So, you know, when, when, when I met him last time, you know, he made the point to tell me as far as he knew, this was the first time since Douglas and John Brown had last met that two direct descendants yeah. had met mm-hmm. in over, you know, over 150 years. Right. And so that's just the opportunity. So within that, one of the main things I, I do is I enjoy doing the things, talking about my family connection of the legacy. Right. But also the family has a, a foundation, the Frederick Douglass Family Initiative mm-hmm. organization. Okay. And that is uh, basically established to end modern-day slavery, human trafficking, and racism. And again, in w- within that, the program that I am really tied to that I do a lot with is called the Million Abolitionist Program. Okay. And we are able to provide books to young people for, for free. What I mean for free is that the young people don't pay for them. Organizations and sponsors will will buy the books so they can be distributed to the young people. As you know, I had the opportunity to give books to young people here in Seaside right. a couple of years ago. Right. Um, so uh, I even brought did you get one in that program? I did not get one. Yes, that's why no. I brought one for you. <laughs> oh, I, yeah. I get one now? Yes, you do. <laughs> and actually, it's been reprinted. Mm-hmm. So it's a new version of it. Wonderful. And the History, uh, the History Channel was one of the, was the main um, sponsor of this one. They okay. provided a grant. And so the book is real, yeah, different looking. It has, has more, inf- you know, not more information about Douglas, um, his narrative, the life of a slave, but mm-hmm. we have some, some more personal written perspectives where I have a written, written perspective in there also. Wonderful. Okay. I look forward to reading that. So how often, how, how busy are you now with speaking engagements for the family initiative and everything you've mentioned so far. How busy does that keep you? It seems, at least, I would say since, because right before, nine, uh, I was trying to say 9-11, right before COVID, which, you know, yeah. we always have those milestones in history that sure. you relate stuff to. 
unfortunately, we have to with this one. Yeah. Prior to that, I had started doing some things in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Um, and so over the last five years, Philadelphia has been the main place that I've been going back to. Okay. So since then, at least twice a year, I've been going to Philadelphia mm-hmm. and doing things in different organizations and actually able to increase the the when I said increase the connections, well, I mean the connections. We're we're we still deal with grassroots stuff, but we're meeting. I met the mayor last time I was there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we met some other people. Well, we went to the Re- Revolutionary War Museum mm-hmm. and met the director, and they're talking about doing something uh, in the near future and want to involve. Douglas in it. Okay. And so making those connections is is really nice. So I've done a lot more over the last five years than I probably did in the 10 years previously. Right. But on an average, you know, up before this last five years, maybe, you know, Black History Month, I might do something. Mm -hmm. But for me, it wasn't, I, I felt okay not doing stuff. Right. It didn't bother me that people weren't asking me to do to do anything. And if I wanted to do something, I can always reach out to others and say, "Hey, let's do this or I want to do this." But it didn't didn't bother me at all not, you know, there were certain stretches where I didn't and, you know, part of that too was um, you know, my we had all the kids at home. So there were right. other things that were more, you know, when I say more important, to family to be able to do other stuff. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm stretching it out there because I'm, you know, I'm trying to figure out, I've got probably about 16 months before I hang up my shingle. Okay. For, for this second <laughs> retirement. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, you mentioned you've done a lot out of Philadelphia, but you and your family currently live in Tennessee. Right? Yes, yes. So why did, why did you decide to make Tennessee your home? How did you end up in Tennessee? It's just part of this, you know, part of the the evolution of being a military family mm-hmm. uh, and moving and and you were in the military. Yes, right? I'm retired army. Okay, uh, and so having the opportunity to see different places was, you know, is is something really nice. Uh, but Tennessee is, I had never been to Tennessee. It just so happened that my wife's brother lived there. Okay. And we went to visit him like the summer before I retired. And, you know, based on population, economics, uh, we knew my retirement dollar would go a lot further than trying to come back home to California Absolutely. with four kids. Yeah. Uh, and there were, you know, I know we weren't moving into that house on either street. Right. <laughs> and we weren't buying another house. And right. So, uh, we, yeah, we moved it because, yeah, because my wife's brother was there. So we had some, some familiar familiarity with someone there, mm-hmm. but then again, and as as many of us know that we're in the military, it wasn't anything to move somewhere you've never been before. Right, that's what we did. Mm-hmm. We always went somewhere we never been before. Right, so it, it it was really easy, and so over you know we've been there eighteen and a half years. Oh, okay, long now. time. Yeah, right. and we lived uh, in the same city. Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Uh, up Which in, is where in Tennessee, for those is, of us that don't know? It is in Middle Tennessee, so it's located uh, probably about 45 minutes southeast of Nashville, okay. in between Nashville and Chattanooga. And it is the home of the Blue Raiders, Middle Tennessee State University, who okay. who put the smack, smack down on the University of Miami in football okay. this year. Uh-huh. So All if right. anyone wants to figure out who they are, that's who it is. That's the way to figure it out. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. And so, yeah, living there for, for that amount of time and raising the kids, having a, a beautiful, nice size house to raise kids in as the kids started going on out on their own. And then look again, looking at, you know, cause my, my wife, she's a real good visionary. She looks forward really good. Okay. I mean, she, I mean, she, I, 
I don't know what I'd do without her. Mm -hmm. So she was looking at saying, okay, you know, we're st we still pay oh this much on the house. You're looking at retiring. Mm -hmm. We'll still be paying this house. You'll be, you know, retired for another 10 years at least before we pay the house off. Right. Let's look at selling the house, moving up. So she wanted to move closer to our grandkids who live in Clark Clarksville near Fort Campbell. Okay. Uh, and, and so we started looking and we were able to find uh, two acres, uh, a house on two acres and out in the country. Mm -hmm. I mean, I say out in the country. It's, it's out, out there. I can go a whole hour without a car driving down the road. And your nearest neighbor is how far? Well, actually, our, our nearest neighbor is probably as close as that house across the street. Okay. But that's because the same family owned both houses at one time. Okay. You know, they they do that in the country a lot. You know, <laughs> okay. they, have, they own all this property, so right. they'll just, you know, build another house next to it. But, but you know, they're far enough away that, and they're nice people. Mm -hmm. um, so it doesn't, you know, doesn't seem like they're really there. But other than that, yeah, we've got a lot of space in it because we have a lot of cow pastures around us that separate us from other houses. Right. Uh, but we we are we are loving it, and the, you know the thing about it is just going back and you know this kind of learning tool about uh, about finances is we were able to pay off our old house, you know, the old house, pay right. the mortgage off, mm -hmm. pay this house off, pay cash for it. And so we're we we have no mortgage now, and we are paying off our debt so that we can be basically debt free by the time I retire. That's wonderful, and, that and that's be, really difficult to do in California. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's you, wonderful. Yeah. Your debt just gets passed on to to your next generation. Generational debt. One generation to the next. That's California <laughs> for you. To <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So since we're talking about California, let's switch over to a topic we both love a lot, which is growing up here in Seaside. What are some of your best memories of growing up in Seaside? What do you remember most about growing up here? I, one of the things, I can, just based on where we're sitting right now, yeah, in this house, looking out the window, uh -huh. the park across the street, yeah. even though I live Little ways down the hill, mm -hmm. right below King Junior High School. Right. This is one of the parks we used to like to come play, just because it had the the sidewalk that went nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> it ended in the in yeah a, in the dirt in the dirt. In the dirt. <laughs> uh, but but then you know it had the view of of the rest of Seaside, and then of course I always remember you know for being here in the time before all these houses were up here mm -hmm. and the water towers was our playground. Right. We used to come, we, we would take our, my father's or we would take our fathers because all our military folks would take our father's military, you know, uh, canteens and web belts and backpacks. And we'd come up and play around in the, in the bushes and look for horned toads yeah. and blue belly lizards and not even considering that they had rattlesnakes around here. Right. We never saw one. But um but yeah, we'd play up the water play up here at the water towers. And the other thing about it, it's Seaside was our the whole all of Seaside was our playground. And right. that's what I really liked about it is that we knew people even though we might not have went to the same school with other families, right? our families between our, our military families, because our father and mothers knew each other in different places, that we can go in different parts of the city and still uh, visit folks and have fun and go to the different parks. Uh, another thing, too, is that even though Seaside High in high school was a rival high school right in my lifetime i probably spent more time at seaside high <laughs> than i did at monterey you high. lived in seaside yeah, yeah based on i went to junior high summer school was there mm -hmm. we'd go swimming there before they built the the swimming indoor swimming pool. right so we are we're always up there swimming uh in high school my senior year i did ROP at Seaside High, mm -hmm. so I was up there in the morning every, okay. every day. Every day, anyway. Mm -hmm. um, 
And so I, you know, I still have a, a, a respect for Seesaw High just based on it was part of my life too. Okay. And we were just talking, uh, I was talking with some other people today, um, uh, Ken Gordon, I was just talking with Ken Gordon and, and Derek James about, you know, we were basically talking sports, but we were talking like how with the rivalry with, with each other and knowing it, cause, cause a lot of sometimes the kids and so you had kids that lived in Marina, right. you had kids that lived in Monterey that went, Marina went to Seaside, mm-hmm. Monterey went, you know, that did not understand the rivalry the way the Seaside people knew the rivalry that we're, we grew up together. So. Right. So when we're in games and we're talking to each other or laughing or or talking mess, we're doing it because we love each other. We know right. each other and, and they look at it, you know, used to look like, wait a minute, they're the other team, but nah, they're they're more than that. Right. And so that's part of uh you know, part of the thing for Seaside that I remember and all the and all the people. Um and And the reason why I'm here this week, yes, yes, is Mr. E. Walker, Chief Warrant Officer E. Walker James. Yes, uh, he was a he was like another father. He's the last of our core military family. We had like a our core was like five families, mm-hmm. and he's the the last father out of the family, mm-hmm. and you know. So well respected, yes, and well, his respect was was earned, mm-hmm. and so, and his brother, his sons, are my brothers, and so that's were, why I'm home, and 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 it's you know it's really all in joy. So you were here this week to pay your respects, yes, and to say goodbye. Yes. Mm-hmm. Is he? My next question for you, which may relate to him, is. Do you have any local heroes here on the Monterey Peninsula that you looked up to? Well, it's interesting is that I tell people, and I had that thing, I had that question this week, is that it is the group that is my heroes. Mm-hmm. I mean, Mr. James is, is one of them as an individual, but your father, even though I didn't know your father, mm-hmm. there, I once I learned, once I you know, once I joined the military, joined mm-hmm. the army, and started and became a non-commissioned officer, and yes. started understanding what you have to do to lead soldiers, to uh, educate yourself, and when I say this, how easy it was for me, mm-hmm. it wasn't like that for. Our For fathers, our fathers, no. Regardless if they were officers, warrant officers, or non-commissioned officers, mm-hmm. it was not easy for them to obtain the same things I did, but I was able to because of them. Yes. And so that's why I consider not only them, but I also know that there were, I, I knew uh, some of our, some of the moms and some of the ladies that in the community that were wax. Mm-hmm. So we had a lot of... My mom was a whack. Was she? Yeah, she was. Yeah, Mm -hmm. because I know Miss Sampson was. Mm -hmm. Yeah, My mother was. Um, So then, you know, as I started realizing that the the contribution, not only of the women in the military, but also when all the fathers were gone, how that, especially our core five, how they all rallied together mm-hmm. and it's a different you know because each each generation within military is different based on the type of wars that are going on mm-hmm. you know vietnam was for us because our, our we were born during that time frame mm-hmm. you know there were some of our families you know Korea, they still had to deal with Korea, but they didn't have always have the children. Right. But for us, that you know, the it's different than it's different than now, and it, it was different than it was in World War II. Right. Based on the type of communication they could have with with their 
with the soldiers. Mm-hmm. You know, now they can they can call each other and Skype and talk to each other sure. every day. You know, the back then they were you know waiting on that phone call because always you know I my mother probably probably knew information before but didn't always tell us. But it's like we're going up to Oakland to pick up your dad. Mm-hmm. It's like oh, dad's coming home. Right? Of course she knew before, but it just seems like. You didn't know till all of a sudden he gets to come home. But right. in some cases, that's the way the communication was. You didn't know till, you know, you might not know your father was out of Vietnam till he hit the States and made that phone call yep. to say, I'm home. Yeah. So, yeah. So my, yeah, it's, it's the whole community that, uh, you know, like I said, as I grow and become more mature and, and understand more, I have, uh, I have so many heroes uh educators yeah uh all the educators around here again when i i learn the road they travel to become educators right especially our black educators mm-hmm. i mean i hated mr bean <laughs> mr jonathan bean is yeah. who you're talking honestly, about honestly but uh-huh. i have so much respect for him Cause I didn't, I didn't know the road he went through. I mean, I didn't know he was. I mean, uh, I mean, cause I didn't know Mr. Deberry was at Monterey before he came to be principal at King. Right. And then I had the privilege of having him as a principal for six years. Right. <laughs> right. He went from King to Monterey High School. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and then a lot, yes, and then of course uh, Miss Rucker and. And Mr. Blassen game and Mr. Fluellen and uh, well, you're, yeah. na- you're naming the whole town right now. Yeah, I <laughs> know. Girl. Yeah, so uh, we had a lot of people to look up to, yeah. and that's part of one of my reasons for wanting to do this podcast is to serve as a memory of when we grew up here. We had so many heroes and so many people to look up to, yes. and to build our futures with. And I want to make sure that their legacies are not forgotten. Yeah. And one thing I want to point out is, you know, basically right now I'm 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 talking about mainly black people, mm-hmm. but the melting pot. And then, you know, also finding out, you know, because we had so many uh you know, military military men of you know Filipino and and Japanese. Please, and the cops. please speak on the melting pot because a lot of people don't understand the seaside or the Monterey Peninsula that we grew up in. Yeah, and yeah. the melting pot is the perfect way to describe it. Yeah, and I always say, uh, my six. You know, we we have that picture on Facebook. My sixth grade school picture from Manzanita points it all out is that there is a combination of just about every nationality on that one picture yeah. of people and a lot of them are are, are uh, of mixed race but not all mm-hmm. um but but still just that you know and what I was getting re- you know getting ready to say is is when I see especially you know Facebook has its has its contributions mm-hmm. as far as knowledge, the amount of knowledge it's been able to provide, right? Uh, especially with knowing things about that people would post about their parents here in Seaside, mm-hmm. of you know, Mister Olis, that he was baton. I mean, you know about these different things in history, but yeah. you don't know that people were there, right? That you were in, you're in their house every right. day, growing up with their children, eating their food. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that they experience, you know, because I know, you know, we had Tuskegee Airmen, um, Buffalo, you know, Buffalo Soldiers, uh, uh, Triple Nickel. We had all these men and, and women that were in these, you know, what we consider, you know, historic moments and units that. That we didn't know, and growing up, we didn't know. You know, I say you don't know what you don't know because mm-hmm. we didn't. And, and I, you know, I think now we didn't extend the respect that they deserved. I yeah. mean, we should respect people as just as as adults anyway. 
but knowing their history is where you know I'm 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 able to extend that respect to them now at least and realize. Well, we were young, and you had mentioned earlier that one of your memories was the view of Seaside. And I have to admit that when I grew up as a kid here, the ocean was there, and we had the we view, did, but we I didn't, didn't see it. I didn't did, see it. We didn't see it. I did not see no. it. I didn't come to appreciate that view. Until I was a lot older. Yeah. And that, then I, I lived in Southern California for 30 years and would tell people where I was from. And they'd be like, oh, my God, you know, it's so pretty up there. And I was like, it is? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is, right? Well, yeah, because that's like for me, live, you know, living on, up on top of, you know, Broadway and, mm-hmm. and driving, you know, going to school in Monterey and driving down Broadway mm-hmm. every day right. to, to go to school and... You don't see it. The ocean, yeah. It, like I said, you can't, you know, you, in our case, you couldn't see the ocean for the trees. So there might <laughs> as well just been trees there because right. we, we, we didn't see it. It's just our, well, some days you couldn't. Well, the fog, the fog, no. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Some days, yeah. Right. Some days it wasn't there. It's was just right. too darn foggy. Right. And it was funny, you know, that was funny. It might be foggy here in, 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 Hot and clear in Marina. Hot and clear in <laughs> Marina, but um, notoriously, the story I tell is that Seaside High School football games, because they had actually built the stadium there when I was there. Yeah, and so, uh, seven, 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 78, 78. 78 was mm-hmm. the first year, because that was my senior year. Yeah, right. I remember, yeah, because I remember their McClymans. <laughs> When they tried to beat up the bus, but anyway. <laughs> but that's when they built that stadium, <laughs> yeah. and you would start the game, and you would be able to see the team on the other side of the field. And by halftime, oh, the fog would roll in, <laughs> and they would disappear into a fog bank, and you couldn't see them anymore. So yeah. those are my memories are of our football games there. Yeah. But you've talked about the melting pot. That's how we grew up here, and it's it's not the same now. Yeah. It's a little bit different, but. We grew up in military families, so I know my family was in Germany for a while. Dad was in Korea. People were all over the place. You were born in Paris, France. Yeah, born in Paris, France. And you've traveled all over this country and to other parts of the world. Racism is still an issue that has remained a serious problem for all Black Americans. How has racism in this country affected you in your lifetime? Again, that's an interesting question because I, I I had dealt with a question like that this week also, um, and it's interesting because I think our parents really, considering the racism they because where's your father and mother from Texas, Texas mm-hmm. exactly, <laughs> the, and the racism that our our parents experienced growing up and where they were where they were raised. And being in the military, coming out here to California, Monterey still had had you know Monterey and parts of Seaside had the the basically real estate laws that redlining redlining yeah. exactly mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. they couldn't couldn't buy in certain locations right, and that when we couldn't do certain things. Mm-hmm. They made sure we had the opportunity to do something, right. and that's like I said, we more Memorial Day. Every black person in Seaside's in Bellotto Park and House, yes, fifty yes. miles away, yes. Mm-hmm. And they made so they made sure we had the opportunity to 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 have go swimming and do all those things together. Mm-hmm without worrying about what's going on here because they, you know, they still had as adults, they still had to deal with those type of things, even though it wasn't as prevalent as it was where they grew up, Mm -hmm. but it still existed. And they kind of shielded us from that. Yes. So in, in some cases to me, I didn't realize that there was racism around us until we moved away and started experiencing other things, yeah. even though that even though there was, mm-hmm. but we didn't get that that blatant uh, can't drink at the water fountain, blah 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 type of things that still existed during our childhood and right. in other locations. Right. Uh, so you we know, grew up in a bit of a bubble here. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I don't know if that's good or bad, but yeah. 
And and it's interesting because I remember, you know, especially the story Mr. James used to tell us because, uh, you know, he would he told us at certain points. And then I know when when uh, I got married and brought my wife, he would tell the story because they were from South Carolina mm-hmm. and that bringing they would go visit or when they came back from Germany or something and they were in driving cross country, they basically, he would, he basically told us the blue book story before I knew, knew what the blue book was mm-hmm. about, you know, uh, sundown towns yes. and, and stopping that somewhere and, and telling the people, Hey, you know, my family and I are out in the car and I've been driving so long that I need some sleep and, I'm just letting you know or asking you, can I just park in your parking lot? And I'm just going to get a little bit of sleep, Mm -hmm. and then I'm going to be gone before you wake up. Right. And then also the thing is is we would go to Santa Cruz. We Mm -hmm. would go to baseball games. uh, You know, Great America or different things, and we always brought our own food. Mm-hmm. And that's what they did. Had to do traveling cross country. Right. They always had to bring their own food because right. it's because it was it. I don't know if you heard the this um, the Watsons go to Birmingham. Have you ever no. read that story? No. I can't remember the author, mm-hmm. but it's a good. It's a story about um, a family that moved to I think Detroit during the industrial uh, migration. Okay, and of course they still had family in Alabama mm-hmm. and the Watsons go to Birmingham is their story about them taking a vacation driving from Michigan down to Alabama. Okay. And it just so happens they were there the the week that of the church bombing in mm. Birmingham. And okay. it's a real real funny but historical, you know, tear jerking story at times. Okay. Too. Okay. Yeah. All right. Do you have any advice specifically for young black men growing up in America today? Well, I have a young black man growing up in America today myself. So, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. because I think my wife does it more than I do, but you know, she she tells him always always be careful. Now, you have how many sons? I have one son. Okay, one son. Four girls and and a boy. Okay, uh, and he just you know based on our subject, he is a he's starting his senior year at Middle Tennessee State, mm-hmm. and he'll be graduating in December, so he'll do three and a half years, so he'll graduate early. Great. And he's he's in Chicago this week too. Mm-hmm. By the way, mm-hmm. some of his friends went up to Chicago. Okay. And then he's going on a cruise and all. So he's... <laughs> he's living I mean, life he's, right now. Yeah, right? I mean, you know, because uh-huh. when we moved, we had to leave him down there. So mm-hmm. they got a house and he's he's doing good. And, you know, what's interesting about it is is that the majority of the friends that he grew up with are white. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't have that, you know, he doesn't have that that, I guess that thing about leeriness of being around white people because he's, he's not he always good, yeah. a, right and yeah. so but still you know it's the idea that you know when you guys are doing things uh in certain cases just remember you're you're sometimes you're the only black person in the group right and you know there might be that that time where you know, you might get sing- singled out when we're talking about within not not just around, around with stupid people, right? But within government officials and police officers or something like that, right? And I'm not, you know, I'm not saying police officers are bad, right? Uh, but just have to realize that in some cases, you have to realize that who you are within that group, right? Even though. Everyone in that group looks at you just like they look at each other. Because mm-hmm. I know he mentioned where they where they moved to that the uh, I guess some of the one of the I guess the neighbors were young other young people or something, and they mentioned to the other his roommates something about the N word that lives with him, mm-hmm. and they they. They, they backed him it. up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they backed him up on mm-hmm. that one. Okay. Yeah. So, 
but still, you know, he's he's been fortunate um, based on where we where we live at, and, and you know, and we're still in the South. You are. That, That's why I asked the question. Yeah, yeah. that um, you know, if he's experienced some things that he might not have have told us, mm-hmm. uh, but he, you know, like I said, we just uh, let let him know that you know, don't you know, it's it's a shame when you guys sometimes say, "Don't be surprised if this happens." Mm-hmm. But you also have to know how to deal with it. Um, so, yeah. Okay. I think you may have answered this already earlier, but I'll have you just elaborate a little bit more. What's the next chapter for Kevin Green? Uh, I think that's when I said, what, about You said you got months? about 18 more months and, <laughs> a year and a, hanging up the A shingle? year and a half. Yeah. So yeah. right now I've been uh, 17 years with the Department of Veterans Affairs as a human resource specialist. Okay. And for the last four years, so we were, I was doing this before COVID. I was been, I was working virtual from mm-hmm. home. So when COVID happened, there's two things that our family didn't miss a beat. We were homeschooling and I was working from home. Okay. So there wasn't no ch- changes in our household uh, except for, you know, the, how my wife dealt with, groceries and stuff like mm-hmm. that you know like everyone had to right, do when right. they went outside of the house right but um yeah and so that that road to retirement is like i said my wife being that visionary you know because she, she always tells stories she was very very mad at me when sure. i retired from the army uh-huh because she found out that i planned to retire when someone else she it's not like she's never asked me it was like i you know, I probably tied. I'm not sure yet. Mm-hmm. But someone asked me, and she says, "I told them I'm re- I'm retiring in the end of December." Okay, and it's like I not, had not told her that. <laughs> He's like, "Yeah, well, now, you see, told- that's your problem. Know, yeah, <laughs> you that's, didn't tell yeah. her." Yeah. So now it's you know, several years ago, uh, especially right before we you know last year before we decided to sell the house. I pretty much made a, a decision that yeah, the end of twenty four at at a at a maximum because my thing is next year in April I hit my high three as a GS twelve. Mm-hmm. I don't I get paid as GS twelve in retirement regardless if I work if I retire in April if I retire in Jan in this in the December. Okay, but I still make more money working those other months. Okay, and it's just most people will re- typically retire at the end of the year. Um, so I kind of like, and it's in the and it has two meanings for because that's I retired at the end of the year in the army too right. on December. 31st okay and so yeah so i'm i'm pretty feeling pretty comfortable about it um and my mind is looking you know it's the idea what are you going to do when you retire yes what will you do with all of that free time yeah having the uh having you know we don't have a a you know big spread so but we have a little what we consider a little homestead Mm -hmm. and I'm, you know, learning to do different things and wanting to do because I built our my my wife's flower, uh, you know, our planters. We have raised bed planters, mm-hmm. so I built four big ones. I put the fence up around it, so I'm I'm doing things that it's not it's not a surprise that I can do these things. Right. I just have I know I can do I can build things and work with things, but I'm I'm actually have a a reason to do some of these things so you know it's not like you know once i that there, i wouldn't have anything to do it's just a matter of what do i i want to do i don't have to do something outside of the house right i have you know we we have plenty that we can look at doing with what we have as far as building up what we have um and you know our our grandchildren so for this past semester of school year my my daughter was working full time and her mother-in-law lives with with them they have a nice size house but and so they were both working and so the kids now are three and four Mm -hmm. but so she would be keeping them at the house but we'd get them two days a week just to give her that break Mm -hmm. and of course we want to spend time with them also right and so i have that you know close proximity mm-hmm. with the with the two boys so as they they grow 
um, I'll be able to pour pour into them because um, they they only have one grandfather. Their, right. their other grandfather passed away. Okay, uh, and so that's something I didn't have is that grandfather connection. So uh, I enjoyed that. Yeah, we put up a a bunk bed in my office, and so I had to shift. So basically, they're, I'm slowly losing my office. I'm mm-hmm. transitioning the office mm-hmm. away from, and then when I retire, it's just a matter of boxing up those two, you know, those 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 two uh, monitors, mm-hmm. the keyboard and, and the laptop it. and, and that's give it, it back and that's it. <laughs> okay. Okay. I have one very, very important question. Yes, ma'am. How's your golf game right now? <laughs> Non-existent right now. And what, I, and what I don't like about it is where I moved to, there's no courses nearby like I used to have Mm -hmm. and because we had a where I used to live we had a VA VA actually had a course right Uh and it was basically what we liked about it it was because it was the course that I when I say I learned on because I played a little bit when I lived here Mm -hmm. but nothing compared to what I wish I had done yeah considering yeah Considering, yeah, because we didn't. Wow. Once again, we didn't see it. We yeah. didn't know that we had the world's best golf courses, courses here when in, we were growing up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when I went back to school, they gave me one of my courses during fall break. Instructor said, "So your your fall break for fall break, your your assignment is to go play golf and bring back your scorecard." Mm-hmm. And so I went to the VA. They had some old raggedy clubs. I used those. I played. And I was like, I like this. I said, I guess I'm going to have to get my own clubs. And I went to play it again sports, bought some clubs and play and everything. But, I, you know, I slowed down. Um, But I went to Indiana. So it's probably been about two years now. I went to Indiana. When I go up there, my my brother-in-law's father-in-law, so his his wife's father mm-hmm. plays so when i go up there i know most likely i can go play when i'm with as long as it's because indiana it's got to be at least may okay before, before you, start you can playing, play before you start playing yeah, because of the weather again. right so i take you know in taking clubs uses up space so i took i left my clubs there since i had you know extra pieces at home but mm-hmm. i left my, my main clubs up there brought my driver back with me but i haven't played since then and like where i live now it's at least probably 30 minutes 45 minutes to an hour to go to one of the nearest courses so it's like, okay so that possibility once i re- retire of of maybe get it cuz there's you know i've talked to some of the guys at the church that that we attend that mm-hmm. they do play and they might have different types of tournaments and yeah. stuff that I, there's the opportunity for me to get back into it but but not at the as much i really think i would want to cuz it's going to take time getting and going and the amount of time that it takes to play. No, absolutely. And <laughs> I'm I'm in the same boat and I was golfing a lot for a while, but post COVID mm-hmm. I've been out I think one time. Yeah. And, and I'm determined to get out there, but I just can't find the time to get out there right now. Yeah, and I can as you know, I used to bring my clubs back. And when what, you would come here. And what's interesting is my dad lived here. Mm-hmm. And I didn't leave. I didn't buy clubs and just leave them at the house. Yeah, that's what you should have <laughs> I know, done. Yeah, and then they would just be here. They All the, they would just be here. But we'll have to make a pact that we're determined to get back on the golf course because I do. I love it. It's one of my passions. Yeah. I'm gonna have to get some clubs and leave. Just leave them. Just leave them here. Just leave them here. Because yeah, <laughs> I'm left-handed, and that's the problem. Everybody. So I won't you, use everybody them. Everybody <laughs> usually has. Yeah, oh, I got some clubs, that, yeah, uh, but I'm left-handed. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Well, that's different. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Well, Kevin, is there anything else that you would like to tell us that we haven't covered today? Wow. As you know, we could sit here for for hours. For hours. <laughs> Man. Uh well, you know, as much when I talk about because people I know people do it for reference. And I and and when I do it and don't mention seaside, I don't mean it in disrespect. People ask you where you're from. You reference Monterey because most people will be able to recognize Monterey compared to Seaside. Sure, but it, but especially when we get when I get that ting, Monterey. Oh, 
yeah, I've been to Monterey or I was at Fort Ord. And then, yeah, actually, I'm from Seaside. <laughs> yeah, man, I'll, I'll kick it in. But right. If someone recognizes, mm-hmm. then I'll kick in Seaside. Right. Because it's easy to say, well, I'm from Seaside, what, Seaside, Oregon, Seaside, Florida. You know, it, right. it, it, it doesn't, you know, there's that combination. But, yeah, I, you know, the whatever changes in seaside whether they're you know positive or you know i see a lot of displeasure i see a lot of positive okay the main thing you see about seaside it the changes in seaside is the demographic yes. so i don't so when i look i don't see so I'm, i that's why i eliminated saying the negatives because that's not a negative to me it's just a change it's a change it's just a change mm-hmm. but you know, people like yourself and the mayor and the, you know, the police chief and other people are, you know, continuously trying to to make a difference, uh, a positive difference. Um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm interested in the plan, how they're, how they're extending up Broadway above Fremont. Yeah. Because that had, you know, I didn't drive up Fremont this time, so I don't know what. You'll see it. You'll be here for a few days. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I know the lower Broadway, Mm -hmm. the amount of what they've put into the lower Broadway, Mm -hmm. which had always been uh, commercial anyway. But yeah, just, and then, you know, when I was here, for uh, the NAACP event last year, yes, I I made sure I took time when they were working in the Olis Mango Park. Well, mm-hmm. I call it Mango Park, regardless. Right. Um, I came up and and did some sweat equity in mm-hmm. the park, uh, because that was the park that I grew up in. Right. Even though basically everyone else there were, They're or the near- majority were were not. They weren't here back then. Yeah, we're mm-hmm. not seaside yeah. seasiders then. Right. But they they still see uh an opportunity to have spaces cuz it's you know cuz it's interesting looking here at the at at the parks which a lot of people consider green space. Mm-hmm. And it's just based on the 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 sand. It's you know as we know over there it's just hard to grow stuff in the sand. Right. Um yeah, you know, there's a lot of native stuff that grows in the sand, but that's not typically Ice what, plant. <laughs> what people want to see. Mm-hmm. You know, they, we've known for years where they put grass in it and it looked pretty for a long time, but over the years it just didn't stay. Uh, but still, they're they're working on making these these spaces uh, usable. Uh, so that's 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 good because you know you don't as you know you don't see the kids using them the way we did and you know those are for different re- you know a lot of different reasons right. they have opportunities to do uh, more stuff indoors you know as well as we always talk about staying indoors for us was a punishment right I gotta I gotta stay in the house I know yeah. and now you can't get them off <laughs> the computers to go outside right yeah right yeah so you know in closing you know seaside still I always tell people seaside's seaside's my home I was born in France uh but I was raised in seaside and you know it's, what's interesting now I've been probably in Tennessee almost longer than I actually lived in seaside mm-hmm. um but there's there's nothing like it. Even even today, when you see it, you see how things have changed, and like I say, you see a lot of positives too. To mm-hmm. you know, to say, "Wow, well, those 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 were the projects." Right. Those aren't projects anymore. <laughs> I mean, in, in a lot of cases, they weren't projects then compared to other parts compared, of the country. I've, yeah. I've had friends come up here from Los Angeles and yeah. shown them, and they they laugh. They're yeah. like, "That's not, not a project. project. Yeah. yeah, that's not a project." Yeah. So. Yep. So, yeah. Yeah. so, well, that's all I have for you. All the questions I have to do. Thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule when you've come home just for this brief visit. But thank you for stopping by and taking time to speak on my podcast today. It's a pleasure. It's, I mean, you know me. Anytime you need me, if I can be here, I'll be here. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks.
Thank you for listening. And a very special thank you to Kevin Green. This podcast releases every Friday with episodes featuring interviews with special guests, commentary, and my personal take on current events happening in this outrageous world we live in. See you next week. CCC with YT Podcast is executive produced by Yvonne Thomas. Theme music by Shayla the Artist. I don't hear what